0: All right, you got your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll finish that chapter today. You know, the effects of the separation between humanity and God that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden, they're still dominating the headlines today, increasing levels of exploitation and hatred and abuse and wars and selfishness, bitterness, prejudice, as much as ever before just as Jesus told us they would be. Matthew 24, Jesus identified all these things as signs of the end of the age. And he warned us then about the danger of many people turning away from the faith as the pressure of the world intensified. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the agape love of most will grow cold. But the ones who stand firm to the end Will be saved, And this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, less than 40 years later, Peter was already seeing many of the things Jesus had cautioned about playing out in his day. And almost 2,000 years later, humanity's rebellion against God and the increase of wickedness are clearly on display. Peter, true to his life mission, recognized the need to strengthen a remnant to encourage those with a heart to stand firm to the end, and to build faith in those who had surrendered the control of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, so they would not let their love grow cold, or fall into any kind of spiritual complacency, or somehow be led astray from sincere, pure devotion to Christ. To that end, Peter crafted his second letter as an open-ended, until Jesus comes back, reminder and wake-up call to any and everyone aspiring to sincerely live a Christ-following life. Got anybody here that wants to sincerely live a Christ-following life? Yeah. Well, here in Second Peter, we have some lasting guidelines on how to live in the abundance of God's grace and peace. Peter connected that to our choices to do the work to mature in our experience of Jesus to do the work to mature in our experience of Jesus. Peter knew from his personal experience that Jesus does so much more than just forgive us. He also knew God was actively engaged in changing people from the inside out. At the moment of our salvation, our heart and our spirit are made new. And from that moment on, in the depths of our being, we're no longer running from God. Instead, we're joined to his divine nature. From that moment on, we don't have to try and manufacture a relationship with God because God's spirit takes up residence within us. From that moment on, things we would never have had the power to do as well as things we would have never been able to do on our own, we can do. Things like goodness, self-control, godliness, and agape love. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that strength is the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, teaching, counseling, encouraging, comforting, guiding, and instructing us how to live life to the full for those with ears to hear and eyes to see and soft hearts to quickly obey. Everything we need for life and godliness has already been given to us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. However, the work of the Holy Spirit within us is based on the space we give him to make us new on the inside. It really is so radical to think about that. God could do anything he wants, but what he's chosen to do is honor the space we give him. So we open up our hearts, we surrender our lives and the control of our lives to Jesus. We get saved and his spirit comes in, but it's like his spirit comes into the foyer of our lives. And if we don't give him access to any more of the house, his spirit will stay in the foyer of our lives, and do all he can in the foyer of our lives, all the while wooing us to give him more space. I wanna encourage you, let him into the living room, let him into the bedrooms, let him into the bathroom, let him even into those places you think, oh, I don't know if I want him to see that. He's already seen it anyway. He's already seen it anyway. Nothing is hidden from his eyes. Give him the full access of your spiritual house. Give him the space inside of you to do whatever, however he wants to do it. He will honor our choices. And the more space we give him, The more work he does. Second Peter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Last weekend, I defined each of these qualities. They're like steps on a clear pathway into a reproducible journey of faith. How to live out and manifest each of these qualities is intended to be more obvious as our experiential knowledge of God and his ways expands. None of these qualities I just read, none of them happen accidentally. And none of them will become part of our character or part of how we show up in the world every day without us deliberately applying focused energy and a real earnestness to add to, to fully furnish and to fully supply what God intends to be a transformative faith journey. Look at verse eight. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your experiential knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Amplified says, for as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound in you, that are yours part is presented as a given. The and increasingly abound in you part is where the water hits the wheel. It's not enough to just be satisfied if some or any of these qualities on this list happen to show up in our lives from time to time. None of these qualities have been given to us to stay static. All of them are infused with God's divine nature and all of them have exponential growth potential included with them. So the challenge the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write about was how to continually superabound in all these qualities with this implied think about it attached to it. If we're not, or if we have accepted a lack of spiritual growth in any of these qualities is okay, then we may very well be choosing to live in a place of spiritual deterioration or we might not be in the faith at all. Every day, God honors our voluntary choices to allow him to increasingly express himself in and through our lives. We've all been invited into an active, developmental relationship with God. And in places like this, make every effort to add to your faith list God identified some specific qualities that will help us become a fuller expression of who he has created and called us to be by his own glory and goodness. If you possess them, that phrase points to varying degrees of ownership with each of these qualities. And to fully possess each of them, we have to continually keep making the effort to put them into practice every day. When we make... Every effort to add to our faith that keeps us from being ineffective and unproductive in our experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Reading through that and reading over that several times for the last several weeks, it just seems weird to me and messed up to even think of the idea that we can be ineffective and unproductive in our experiential knowledge of Jesus. I get it if you just know some facts about Jesus or some ideas about Jesus, that that thing can just be what it is. But when we've had experiential knowledge, when we've had those moments where we've encountered his presence, the undeniable times where that was God, how can we let that get into a place where it's ineffective and unproductive? And then I remembered, uh, right before Cindy and I went to the Philippines in 1988, we, we were in a church and I just thought, you know, we're going to work in a refugee camp and I'm going to need every bit of God that I can get. And I've learned a lot in this church, but I, I still don't speak in tongues yet. And so there were a couple of guys in the church and that, that did that and prayed for people. So I went to them and they prayed for me for two hours. Pretty Baptist still at that point. And they said, you got it. And I was like, ah, no, I don't got it. I don't got it. They said, well, you're a singer, so maybe you could just sing. Maybe when you sing, it would... no, no, that's too weird. That's not do. So even driving home, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, those guys just spent two hours, and what is wrong with me, and I still don't have it. And uh, uh, got home said, how'd it go? Uh, well, they said I got it, but I don't, I don't think I got it. And went to sleep that night. Woke up two times during the night speaking in tongues. So, so my story is... My story is you got to put a Baptist to sleep sometimes in order to get the, the things of the spirit spirit loose and out of them. But now here's the, so that was an experiential encounter with God. No other explanation for it than he did that in me. And then I just set it on the shelf and for the next year and a half didn't even use it. That's how experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus becomes ineffective and unproductive. We don't use it. A year and a half later, after a year and a half of crazy warfare that we were going through in the Philippines, all of a sudden, the light came out like, uh... You wanted to get that before you went because you need that. You should use that. And ever since then, I've been using that and praying into that. But that's how it happens. We have these encounters with God, and then we just set them on the shelf like a, like a picture or like a memory. And that's not what they're meant to be at all. They're meant to be living and active. They're meant to inspire. If he did that for me then, what will he do for me now? That kind of faith is what's meant to rise up in us. But the fact is, it says here in Scripture that it is a possibility for our experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to be, become ineffective and unproductive. And that's meant to light a fire in our hearts not to settle. And not to just get stuck going through religious motions or living as the frozen chosen just waiting for Jesus to return. 2 Corinthians thirteen five says, Examine yourselves and see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The message says it this way. Test yourselves. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail the test, do something about it. We need to regularly refer to and study the qualities on this make every effort to add to your faith list so we can honestly assess their presence in our life. But beyond that, are they increasing in our lives? These are not badges that we're meant to wear, like Boy Scout badges or something like that. These are uh, character traits. These are qualities of God's heart that he wants us to live in. And they're not just be, okay, so I did that once and now I'm done. No, that's the start. And now keep growing, keep increasing. Each of these qualities is definable. I did a sermon on it last week. Go back and listen to the tape. Or look it up yourself. Each of them produces clear and obvious fruit in our lives. And if that's not happening, we are living out, being ineffective and unproductive in our faith. The passion says inactive and fruitless. The amplified says idle and unfruitful. And actually in the King James, it uses the word barren. And in Greek, that word is very in-your-face descriptive. Lazy, unemployed, unwilling to work, neglectful, useless, inoperative and unserviceable. Who? But God. But God, He regularly provides the checkups we need. And at each of those divine appointments, he's looking for first-hand evidence, our words matched with our actions that reveal Jesus in us. And if we fail the test, God mercifully allows us to take it again and again and again and again and again until we pass the test. He'll even let you take it open book. (laughs) He so wants us to pass the test. What I found in my life is when you fail one of those tests of God, that moment he brings out it's not there. Well, you're going to have to pass that test before you get onto the next thing. So don't just think, oh, well, skip that or don't beat yourself up because you failed. It's like, no, press in to know how to pass that. Understand what he's doing in your life and step into that place. Ask for his forgiveness for not passing the test and then say, teach me, Lord. Draw me more and more into who you are and who you've created me to be. In the New Living Translation, this verse is turned around to a positive. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a mistake it is to have experiential knowledge of Jesus that we don't convert into all the productive and useful things that God intends to be part of a transformative faith journey. Last Monday, we took our grandson, Wiley, to SeaWorld. First time i had been to SeaWorld. And the first place that we went was Alligator Alley. And this guy shows up and he's teaching about the alligators. And he said that because they're cold blooded animals, when the outside temperature gets cold, they just stop eating. And I didn't know this, but he said alligators can go three to six months without eating because they're cold blooded. But then he looked at all of us standing around the area and he said, Because we're humans and we're warm blooded, we cannot do that. Well, just like in the natural, we need to eat regularly to grow properly. The same is true in the spiritual realm, which is one reason why at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that hunger and thirst is meant to be a 24-7, 365 desire. Not just a day a week or a couple of days a week or a quiet time of morning. 24 7, 365, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when we do that, the promise is we will be filled. And that word means satisfied and surrounded with fruitfulness. Our lives are meant to demonstrate God's work in real and tangible ways. And Jesus said, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that'll it be more fruitful. It's amazing how God individually works with our lives. If we need to be lifted up, if we need to be strengthened, he'll lift us up and strengthen us. And if we're growing and prospering and producing fruit, he's not like, okay, that's good enough. It's like, okay, I'm going to prune that back because I want you to do more than that. Sometimes we don't understand when the pruning is happening, but all of that is God's love individually working in our lives. Jesus said, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. And by bearing much fruit, you show yourselves to be my disciples. Verse nine. But if anyone does not have them, anyone does not have these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If we say we have surrendered the control of our lives to Jesus, but we're not actively working on and walking out our salvation in obvious and increasing ways, we're missing the mark. And if we claim to be saved, but we're still living and acting the same way we did before we got saved, we've completely misunderstood what salvation is meant to be, as well as what God's forgiveness is meant to produce in our lives. Romans 6, Paul stated, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Here, Peter called that kind of living nearsighted and blind. Nearsighted and blind. The choices we make now matter in this life and even more so in the life to come. The most significant and lasting rewards are discovered when this life is completed. And an inability to look towards, see, and value those eternal rewards can hinder our initiative to live lives that honor God in his ways and to live lives actively about the work of advancing God's kingdom now. Peter also wrote that failing to possess these make every effort to add to your faith qualities increasing measure reveals that we are choosing to live with a form of amnesia. A form of amnesia that causes us to forget what Jesus has done for us, as well as who we are to be in Christ. The Amplified identified two willful choices that lead to nearsighted blindness one, closing our spiritual eyes to the truth, and two, having become oblivious to the fact that we have been cleansed from our old sins. We were just thinking about it. He's made us new. We've been set free. We are new creations in Christ. It is for freedom that we've been set free. And I want to continue to encourage us, don't buy into, don't close your eyes to that truth and buy into and say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Uh Or I'm just a human. Well, so was Jesus. And he modeled what human life could be. And he was tempted and tested and tried in every way just as we are, but without sin, because he stayed connected to the Father. And he set the example, not a bar too high for us to reach, but the bar for us to reach for, that we would live our days that way. I want to encourage you, don't give yourself the space, well, I'm, gonna, I'm human, I'm going to sin from time. Don't give yourself that space. It might happen, but it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. Sin happens as a choice. And we've been set free. We are new creations in Christ. We shouldn't close our eyes to the spiritual truth that there's a better way for us to live, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in us, and that those things from the past, they don't have us anymore. We're just singing about them in that last song. Those things are gone. We've been set free. We need to live that way. The specific word that Peter used for cleanse was actually the same word used when a person was healed of leprosy. That kind of cleanse was radical, miraculous, unmistakable, and undeniable. This cleanse also speaks to inner and outer cleansing. So Peter strongly phrased this point of emphasis that a failure to diligently pursue increasing participation in the divine nature and consistent escaping from the corruption of the world caused by evil desires works against the proper development of these make-every-effort-to-add-to-your-faith Qualities, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. Now, there's a lot here in this one verse. Be all the more eager is the same phrase and definitive call to action as make every effort. And to make your calling and election sure part, that has caused theological divisions and controversies about salvation for a long time. I was telling you a minute ago, I was raised Baptist. Baptists are really strong on once saved, always saved. And while I do believe that's true, because in John 10, 28, Jesus said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. I think it's been misunderstood to mean that what we do after we get saved doesn't matter. And what I want to say at this point in my life is if you can live like that, I don't think you were saved in the first place. For some people, a salvation experience is just a stepping into the next place. And it's kind of a natural progression of things. You were living a pretty good life. You were raised in a safe place. You've known the Lord your whole life. You surrender control of your life and you just keep moving to that. For other people, when you give your life to Jesus, everything changes. It's like, I was this way, but now I am this way. I was one way before I knew him, but now I am another way. And in between that whole spectrum of things, can be your experience when you give your life to Christ. But what I know is however it happens, if you can keep living the same as you were living before, you supposedly gave your life to Christ, you haven't given your life to him. Because when he gets inside of us, things begin to change. And you can feel the change and you are being the change. So be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. And about our calling, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Every human being has been created to hear and respond to that voice. We all have a God-shaped void in our hearts that only he can fill. Sometimes we try to fill it with a whole bunch of other things, but it doesn't work. However, in his love and sovereignty, God leaves that choice to us and he honors our choice. It's as simple as this. He calls and we get to answer and follow him. And when we answer, we find out that we were chosen by God before we ever thought of choosing him to be conformed to the image of Christ through a transformative faith journey. From our moment of salvation forward, it's on us to embrace and learn to use everything that we've been given for life and godliness. That's a normal, natural part of what goes with making our calling and election sure. In Greek, this word for sure means certain, fixed, stable, unwavering, attested to, and certified. Our calling and election is meant to be something we rely on, something we depend on, something that we prove the validity of over and over again for the rest of our days. It's not just a theological concept. It's to be our real-life experience of walking with God. If you do these things, you will never Fall. The Greek word fall means to get tripped up. As we make every effort to add to our faith the qualities that Peter articulated, there will be a lot of learning to do. Some of that learning is how to do it. Some of that learning is how not to do it. But Peter assured his readers that they could do all of that learning without getting tripped up and falling into deception error by continuing to add these qualities to their faith. Those additions will support and feed a lifelong pursuit of and into holiness that results in us becoming more proficient in walking out our faith with confidence. Even on the days we're struggling, when we're walking by faith and not by sight, we'll be able to rest in the security that we have in Christ. I love one of the comments I found explaining this verse. It's not our profession of faith that guarantees we're saved. It's our progression in the faith that gives us assurance. That's powerful truth right there. It's not our profession of faith that guarantees we're saved. It's our progression in the faith that gives us assurance. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to uh, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That and reminds us again that what we're living for is more than just today. Although as a born-again follower of Jesus, we are living in a present phase of God's kingdom now. There is a future phase of his eternal kingdom awaiting when the perishable is clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When we surrendered our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, The fact of our entrance into his eternal kingdom was a settled, done deal. But the manner in which we'll make that entrance is yet to be defined. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul described that this way. Everyone's work will be shown for what it is, for the day will bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what we have built survives, we will receive our reward. If it's burned up, we will suffer loss. We ourselves will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. At the end of his life, Paul wrote something we should all aspire to. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, the son of man is going to come. And when he comes, he'll come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they've done. And in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus added this important paradigm shaper about the things we do. I tell you the truth, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And whatever you did not do, For the least of these, you did not do for me. Verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Probably not even a year after Peter released this letter that we're reading he himself was crucified. And tradition has it, by his request, he was crucified upside down because he didn't deem himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord and Savior Jesus did. Verse 15. And I will make every effort to see after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. One, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. Two, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for we received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Three, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And four, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter emphasized four things. First, the truth of the gospel in contrast to every other version of cleverly invented religions and beliefs. Peter would spend the next third of this letter exposing the messages and the works of false prophets and false teachers, and he identified specific things they do that reveal them as false. He also said they're not gonna get away with it, added, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done, and the blackest darkness is reserved for them. Last weekend, uh, Lord Duran was telling me after the service about an experience she had at a farmer's market. She went to look for grapes. And when she was looking for grapes, there were some purple grapes and there were bees flying all around them. And then right next to those purple grapes were some abnormally large green seedless grapes, but no bees flying around them. And when she asked the Lord, what is that about? She felt like the Lord showed her that even the bees can tell the difference between genetically modified fruit and the real thing, which got me to thinking and praying, Lord, help us just be as smart as the bees, (laughs) identifying the real from the cleverly invented. The second thing Peter wanted to remind his readers then and now was the truth that he was an eyewitness to the things of Jesus that he was sharing. And Peter flashed back to a particular day he, James, and John found themselves with Jesus on the mountaintop and witnessed Jesus's transfiguration. You remember that? They left the other disciples at the bottom of the mountain, and Jesus, Peter, James, and John went up the mountain. And when they got to the mountain, Jesus went a little past and began to pray. And then all of a sudden, he became as bright as just the brightest light they had ever seen. And then the next thing they knew, there's Moses, and there's Elijah talking with Jesus on the mountain. Now, my own thought about why that happened that way, first, those were the two great patriarchs of the faith, the, the law and the prophets, kind of symbols of that. Uh, but neither one of those men finished their journey. In my opinion, that strategic find in Jesus' life, I think Moses and Elijah came to say, hey, we blew it in our day. Don't blow it in yours. Stay true all the way to the end. You can do this. God will give you. I think that's what they were there talking with him about. But while all this is happening, Peter, who is never one short for words, go, hey, It is so good for us to be here. Lord, you you want me to build three shelters, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses? And while he was still speaking, a bright light enveloped them and a voice in the clouds said, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Unforgettable moment. Unforgettable moment. But I think also, uh, uh, you know, with all the, all the weight put on the law and the prophets, it was a moment where God was distinguishing and, and, and searing into Peter, James, and John's mind. Yes, the law and the prophets are important. Jesus didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he's the one. It's with him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And that still echoes into our day. Peter's third point was that until Jesus returns, it'll be important to pay attention to the word of the prophets. He pulled a nautical term from his old fishing days when he said, you will do well to pay attention to it. That phrase describes how to hold a ship in a given direction as it moved towards its destination. Peter identified the word of the prophets as a kind of a lighthouse to guide us through darker times. And interestingly, the word he used for a light shining referred to a portable lamp fed with oil not to a candle, and that's important because all the way back into the temple with the lights in there, were oil-fed. Oil, fed. oil in, the, in the scriptures is a sign of the Holy Spirit, and, and we're portable lamps, but the only way we can keep our lamp on is to have regular encounters with the Holy Spirit. As the flame burns, it uses up the oil, and so you need more, and you need more, and it's, so there's this longing for more. These kind of lights are who we're called to be. Jesus used the same word when he said, be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. It's also interesting and informative that Peter put more weight on the word of the prophets than on his own personal experience, even after referencing the moment on the Mount of Transfiguration. Right into our day, that's a timely perspective-shaping thought because it's far too easy for people today to determine what the truth is based on their own understanding or their own experience rather than based on what the word of God clearly says. And that was the heart of Peter's fourth point. He exhorted his readers then and now, above all, to treat the Scriptures with the utmost respect and reverence, because they're not just to be thought of and studied as just the words of men. Paul gave the nature of Scripture's inspiration in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here, Peter articulated the method. God, through the Holy Spirit, inspired each biblical author so that through their own personalities, thought processes, and vocabulary, the words they composed and recorded were without error, and they were the exact words given by God through people to people. Peter also added that the words of Scripture aren't stuck on the page because they're all filled with progressive revelation, and they're continually carried along by the Holy Spirit to this very day. In a letter addressed to a group of people just like us, Peter laid out what God intends to be an ever-expanding, reproducible journey of faith. We're created to be doers of the fundamental principles of the faith, not just hearers only. Once we receive the faith as precious as ours, we need to be people who keep pressing into, who keep practicing, and who keep taking greater and greater hold of all the divine power God has invested in us. We are to take hold of his very great and precious promises and live in them every day. We're to do all of that with an intentional and purposeful passion aimed at being ready ready to take full advantage of every opportunity we have to increasingly participate in the divine nature of God, ready to honor God and his ways and our daily thoughts and words and deeds, and ready to live each day with eternal life and or Jesus's return in mind, whichever comes first. Later in this letter, Peter challenged everyone who would ever read it with these words, what kind of people ought you to be? what kind of people ought you to be? And then he definitively answered his own question. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And shortly after that, he added one more make every effort to this letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Spotless is a call to the highest levels of integrity in our walk and in our faith with the Lord. Blameless is a character word that's to be reflected in our actions and in our reputation. At peace with God. Putting our faith in Jesus brings peace with God to us. Walking daily in communion and fellowship yoked with Jesus is what brings the peace of God into our lives. To be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God exactly, that's exactly where and how we'll end up if with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will make every effort to live out and be part of a transformative faith journey. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, that all, for all that you've given to us. We thank you for what you've invested into our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that's been given to us. We also thank you for the scriptures that you uh, inspired and caused to be written and crafted and that now through generations have continued and that every one of us can have multiple copies of the scripture and multiple versions We can get it on our phones. We can get it. Your word is readily available to us. And we thank you that your word is living and active and instructive. Father, we ask that we wouldn't settle just for the profession of our faith, but that we would be people who are engaged passionately in the progression of our faith. And so then we don't wander around. Are we really saved or do we really? It is so obvious. It is so clear that we love you. It's part of everything we do from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night. And Lord, in any areas where we're struggling, in any areas where we feel like, well, we've just set that down or we're giving ourselves excuses not to live that way. Even right now, Lord, we renounce agreement with those lies and those thoughts that give that access to us. We say no more of that. I am a new creation in Christ, and it is for freedom that I have been set free. And we ask you, Lord, help us step more and more into the fullness of who you've created us to be so we can do the things that you created us to do. Lord, you deserve, you deserve to have people living on the planet like that right now. We want to be some of them. Lord, you deserve to have people, even with the increase of wickedness, who do not allow their agape love to grow cold. We want to be some of those. Lord, you deserve to have some people who will be found faithful to the very end. And we want to be some of those. Lord, have your way in our lives. Keep drawing us deeper and keep us hungering and thirsting for you. Keep us diligent about adding to our faith demonstrations of your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your grace day after day after day. And we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord.